Okay, good morning to one and all. And today's scripture reading is taken from Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 9, and I shall read to you. Okay. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak to now Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declare the Lord of hosts. And let us now sing the Lord's blessing before we hear God's word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are very thankful to you once again for giving us this privilege, this place. And even this occasion and this day which we have made, that we can all come together as one not to worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy upon us. In that while we are yet sinners, you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light of salvation. You pay for us, even the depth of our, our sin on the cross. And now we can even come before and into your presence in Christ's blood and in his righteousness. Lord, as we come before your word, as we gather around your word, once again we pray, we'll be pleased to grant us a teachable heart, heart that is true and tender, heart that is to receive your word with all meekness, that it may bring forth much fruit for your glory. Bless our learning together, O Lord. Be pleased to use your unworthy servant even to share what he have learned from your word to one and all, that we may all grow in grace and in the knowledge of Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, for we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Sir Christopher Wren, you've heard this name before. I hope you have. He was one of the highly acclaimed British architects in the second half of the 17th century. 
in the 1600s, 1650s onwards. You see, he was given the task to rebuild 52 churches in London after the Great Fire of 1666. And many of the churches are still standing today. After 400 years, his masterpiece include the magnificent St. Paul's Cathedral. I think there's a, another place of interest for tourists to visit if you're in London. While he was supervising the construction of the cathedral, a journalist or reporter then thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers. And he chose three and he asked them this question. What are you doing? The first reply, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. The second reply, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. But the third reply, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren to construct a magnificent cathedral. Three workers with three different perspectives of their work. And we can be sure that they go to work each day with a different spirit, with a different attitude. One is just thinking that he's going to earn 10 shillings a day by cutting stone. The other would think that he's just putting in his reasonable hours into his job. And the third one who goes to work every day with this thing in mind that he's helping Sir Christopher Wren to build a magnificent cathedral that will last for, not eternity rather, but last for ages. And what is your perspective? When you go to school, when you go to work, when you change diapers, when you cook a meal every day. Or for that matter, what is perspective? What is a perspective? A perspective, put it simply, is is a particular way of thinking about something. And that is often influenced by our beliefs, by our experiences, and, our, and also by our personality. But for a Christian, for the people of God who have been born again into the kingdom of God, who is a new creation, you are to look at things and of life from God's perspective as revealed in his word. Now, nothing can be worse than to have a misplaced or flawed perspective of life and of God's kingdom. A misplaced perspective of life will discourage you, will cripple you in your journey to the celestial city. It will set you, set away the joy, the peace, the comfort in the Lord. And like the workers working on the great cathedral, you will be thinking that you are just earning your 10 shillings a day for cutting a stone 
not only for a day, but for, etern- for all your life through. If you have a flawed perspective of life, if you do not have the godly perspective of life. Now a month has passed since the return exiles resumed working on rebuilding the house of God. It was the seventh month. Remember the seventh month? It has great significance in the Jewish calendar. It is a month of... Can not remember? I preached before in the book of Nehemiah, what happened on the seventh month? It is the month where they celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles or Feast of the Booths. And this happens with the last day of the celebration, the 21st day of the month. Now Haggai noticed some of the older returned exiles who had seen the first temple, who had worshipped in the first temple, and brought their offerings to God in the first temple. They were discouraged at the work. Imagine you're having a celebration beside a ruined temple with only the altar standing. Imagine you are one of those old folks like me who have seen the first temple and looking at this ruin and celebrating the Feast of the Passover. Oh, sorry, Feast of the Tabernacles. I will certainly be very discouraged. And their depressed spirits may or begin to rub on others who are working on the temple. And very often, the enemy of the soul makes his strongest attack on God's servants just after they have resolved to follow the Lord and to do His will. And make no mistake about it. And for, for, for a flawed perspective is one such attack. We read in verse 3 that their discouragement stems from the comparison between the first and the second temple. They recall the gold, the precious stones, and the craft walls and pillars that adorn the first temple. But now the new temple was dull and bare by comparison. There were barely any gold or precious stones to decorate the walls and the pillars. Nor were there any skilled craftsmen to work on the fine details of the temple. In short, they felt that the second temple which they are working on was small. And they felt small too. And closely related to the feeling of smallness is a flawed perspective that they are alone in the work of the Lord. The returned exiles will have thought that they're the only one on the planet Earth then interested in rebuilding the house of God. As a matter of fact, the greater part of the Jewish diaspora did not seem to continue their support for the rebuilding project after the random exiles returned to their homeland. And likewise, you may be thinking that you are the only one left standing to defend the honour of God and to serve the Lord in your respective vocation. 
you may be feeling that you are the only one left to mend the AV system or to teach the junior class in a Sunday school. And no one seems to care. To top it all, no one thank or even encourage you for your good service for the Lord. And like the written exiles, the flawed perspective of feeling small and alone can quench your spirit and weaken your hands in the pursuit of the godly priority in life. But putting the biblical perspective, the two temples, the first and the second temple, were nothing as compared to the glory of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Christ told the Pharisees, in John chapter 2, verse 18 to verse 21, to destroy the temple, and he will raise it up on the third day. Our Lord was speaking about his body as being the temple of God and his resurrection from the dead. That is the real stuff. The house of God was, or the temple was only temporary. It was only a type and shadow of the coming Messiah. And both temples pale in comparison to the glory of the coming Messiah. The written exile should focus on the worship and service of Jehovah God and keep their eyes on the coming Messiah rather than the physical grandeur of the temple. Likewise, you are not alone in the worship and service of the Lord. Now I have come across Christians and even churches, especially the Reformed ones, who think that they are the only one left on planet Earth standing for the Word of God and for the testimony of Allah, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Remember, the Lord has reserved for Himself 7,000 who had not bowed their knees to Baal in one of the darkest days of Bible history. The Gospel Church is bigger than we think, even in such a dark, wicked, spiritual time like ours. And God's people can be found even in the most unlikely places, from the remote village to the red light district, preaching the word, and reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. So let us take heart in the Lord and go labor on for God's kingdom. Now that our Lord, through the prophet Haggai, had fleshed out the flawed perspective of the returned exiles, he proceeded on to show and to correct them with the real the real perspective of Christian life. Why do I call it real? This is the real realism, reality, the real perspective of Christian life. The world offers us different, different perspectives. But the scripture wants us to know what is the real perspective. And from God's word, we can know what is the real perspective of the Christian life, of life itself and also of the Kingdom of God. What is that real 
perspective. First of all, the Lord assured them that they were not alone. God was with them and He is with us today. We read that in verses 4 and 5. Our Lord encouraged His people to be strong and fear not with these words, I am with you. And who is this I? You read through the passage, you will not fail to find that the Lord identified Himself as not only Jehovah God, but the Lord of hosts. And I love the Chinese word for this, Wan Jin Zi Ye He Hua, the commander of thousands of armies. He is the Lord of hosts. He is with us. Wan Jin Zi Ye He Hua is with us. Thousands of army and thousands of army of angels is under the, our Lord's command and He it is with us as He is with the written exiles in the year 520 BC. And these words, I am with you, points to two important truths. The Lord is in covenant with His people and the Lord is faithful to His people. In verse 5, the Lord told His people that just as He was with their fathers in the first exodus from Egypt, He will be with them in the second exodus from Babylon a thousand years later. And this is important for them and for us to note. Remember, it's on the 21st day of the seventh month, the end of the celebration of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the Feast of the Tabernacles were enacted to remember their wanderings in the wilderness when they first came out from the land of Egypt. So this example is not coincidental, but it's really a poignant point, an apt point to drive home to the written exiles and to us that just as God is with them in the first exodus, God is also with them in the second exodus. And God is with us in the grandest exodus ever. That is to deliver us from sin and death to life. That is our exodus. And God is with us just as He was with His people in the previous two exodus. See, God's covenant with His people will not be broken because of his people's sin and unfaithfulness. That is the beauty of the covenant relationship between God and his people. Though we fail God, yet God is, and God will never forsake us. And just as God manifests His abiding presence with His people at the first exodus with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God would manifest His presence with His people by His indwelling Spirit. Something more permanent, something more powerful, something more cherished, and something more comforting than the pillars of cloud and fire.
something about the church. As I mentioned before in my adult Bible class, that you can run a church. You can run a church super well without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's happening in many, many churches. Even in our land. And Christ has reaffirmed to His church that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20. What followed was that Christ's disciples would carry the gospel and the promise of His abiding presence to the end of the age to build His kingdom. And this carries, I would not say a special, really a special message to me. In my experience with the Cambodian church, you see, the Cambodian church, even though they are supported by foreign missionaries, they are supported by some of Singapore churches, they are very small and poor. They do not boast great facilities. They just have a rented house. Living, uh, living quarters is upstairs and the ground floor is actually their worship area, the activity area. That's considered very good. If you go to the remote village, if I have the chance to go to uh, Pretom, they only have a wooden, literally a wooden church. It is very uncomfortable to worship in a wooden church. There's no aircon, there's only fan, and the fan is very noisy. And they have to run their PowerPoint through a generator, you know? There's no electricity. There's no toilet at the end of the hall until we give a love offering to build more facilities at the back of the wooden church compound. And what's more, the person who are serving there is almost alone. Except that he had a family and also internet connection to the world. Or else he's a... Uh, we are putting a, not only a commando, we are putting a ranger right in the middle of the forest fighting his own war. And when I ask him, why do you come here to serve the Lord? And how can you, how can you serve the Lord in such a, I didn't say poor condition. I said, how can you serve the Lord in this condition? This young preacher then replied me with one sentence that impressed my mind so much. He said, God is with me. And this is enough. It is enough. Of course, the Lord increased. He has a wife. Now, a little baby boy. He's still serving in the wooden church with added responsibility. Still a very remote village. Still a four or five hours journey by car on Metal Road, on Sandy Road, on more Sandy Road, and really Sandy Road into a remote of the remotest village ever serving about 500 people in the village with the aim of reaching out to the people living in the mountains as well. So this young preacher carries the Lord's promise and the gospel. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Secondly, we read in verse 7 and 8 that the Lord will shake all of creation 
and he will bring all treasures, gold and silver, into this house or his house. Now, quoting and commenting on Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to verse 29, you can go home and read on your own, that when God came in the flesh, in the person of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the whole creation shook. And that day has come. God has come in the flesh. God shook all creation where He will call His people from every nook and corner of the earth through the ages to worship Him, bringing precious gifts to Him. And since that day, when God come in the flesh, in the person of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the gospel has made advances into every nook and corner of the earth for the last 2,000 years. Now it may seem small that the Pratom Church and even dying in many parts of the world today, like our persecuted brethren in many places. Beloved, be encouraged and be assured because God's Word tells us the knowledge of the glory of, the, of God will fill the earth as the waters fill the sea. Our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ went out conquering and to conquer. And the gates of hell can never stand against the church and the gospel advance because the enemy of the soul had been defeated. His head had been crushed. Although he's waging guerrilla warfare against the church and his God's people, the gospel will triumph eventually. And every elect shall be called into God's kingdom. And Christ will return to judge the sinful world. And he will bring his church, his people, his beloved back to heaven to be with him forever and ever. Dearly beloved, this is the real perspective of the Christian life. And indeed, of life itself. These twin truths and many more. The abiding, the abiding presence of God and the eventual triumph of the gospel should give us strength, should give us insight, should give us new impetus on how we should live our Christian life, our family life, our vocational life, our community life, and our church life. So my question to you is, are you holding on to the flawed perspective of life or the real perspective of life? Are you looking at life through an earthly lens or the biblical lens? In short, are you living the here and now with the a glorious eternity with Christ in view. 
And that matters how you live your life. I repeat again, are you living the here and now with a glorious eternity with Christ in view? And I doubt, I'm sad to see many Christians not living with that perspective in life. We have a whole eternity to spend with Christ. And that should affect how we should live our life here and now. Which is but for 80 years, maybe because of advances, medical advances, maybe I can live up to 100 years, or maybe only at 50 years. That is only temporary. But what? But how I should live my short life on earth really is determined by our perspective of, the glo- of our glorious eternity with Christ in view. Now having debunked their flawed perspective of life and encouraging the written exiles with the real perspective of life, our Lord continued to cement the promise of a glorious future by revealing the end of the age, by putting the end in perspective. If we read this in verse 9, now to encourage the returned exiles in their work, Haggai points them to a future time when the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the Solomon's temple or the first house of worship. Now many Bible commentators say that this prophecy was fulfilled when Christ walked and taught in the very temple grounds some 500 years later. Indeed, the Son of God's presence in a temple will lend a glory to the second temple that the first temple never knew. Now, I do not dispute that. But I think it is more than that. It is more than just Christ's presence in the second temple that makes the second temple more glorious. By comparing scripture with scripture, that is simply by looking at a good reference Bible. And I hope all of you here have at least one good reference Bible at home. We can, you should find John 1, 14 and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 to 22 at the cross references to this verse. That makes a good reference Bible, by the way. And by looking at these two texts, I will not go into the details, we can safely conclude that the glory of the latter house also refers to Christ and His body, that is the church. Now the Reformation Study Bible, and I hope you too have a good study Bible at home, is spot on, is comment on Haggai chapter 2 verse 9, and I quote, The promise of greater glory is realized in Christ. The greatest manifestation of God's presence and glory. Christ gave His glory to the church. The new temper. Short, sweet, poignant. 
And unquote. The church is the glorious body of Christ. The returned exiles were to look forward to the coming Messiah, to look beyond the four walls of the house of God, because it was only a temporary. It was a precursor to the greater glory of the Messiah and His people. The glory of Christ and His church. Our Lord also promised to give peace in this place, in the latter house of God, that is Christ. Now all of us desire peace. Anybody who doesn't want peace? But peace is a rare commodity in our sinful, fallen world. And there's often no peace in our homes, in our campus, in our workplaces, in our community, and in our world. And in our stressful, fast and furious Singapore, any small disruption in life can cause great agitation. I'm sure you have, those who are driving, I'm sure you have experienced car cutting your lane. And the moment a car cut into your lane, your temperature rises. And even me as a passenger on the bus, seeing a car cut into a bus lane, as a passenger, my temperature also rises. But that is the reality of our, un, our agitated spirits. Anything can agitate us. Little things can agitate us because there's absence of peace. Only God can give us peace. And peace or shalom is an experience of harmony of the body mind and soul in spite of the situation. So even a car cut into your lane, you don't feel agitated, not because if God's peace is in you and with you. Haggai was leading the return exiles to look forward to the coming Messiah who is the Prince of Peace. The people of God could and is to rest in the Prince of Peace. But if you, have, if you have not trusted in Christ and turned from your sin, instead of peace, the wrath of God abides with you. You are in enmity with God and your end is bleak. Christ becomes our peace so that he could reconcile sinners to God by dying on the cross in our place for the sin of his people. Now where do you want to spend your eternity? At peace with God or in the wrath of God? Choose life or death. Choose peace or wrath. If you have not, I will urge you to put your trust in Christ. Turn from your sin that you may experience His peace now 
and forevermore. Now having considered our flaw perspective, the real perspective and the end in perspective, briefly from the text, and how should the godly perspective or the real perspective shape our priority? By now, I hope and I trust that you are seeing yourself building a great kingdom of God instead of just cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. First of all, we have to give our priority to the work of missions. The first coming of Christ opened the gospel to all the nations. In the Old Covenant, the gospel was mainly preached to the Jewish people. It was sprinkling of Gentiles like Rahab, Ruth, Naaman, the people of Nineveh. But when God came in the flesh, in the person of Christ, all creation was shaken to her very core. And God is calling His people from the four corners of the world to come and worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Great Commission of Matthew 28 is the mandate and the priority of the church to make disciples of all nations. And God is pleased to use His church, unworthy as she is, unfaithful as she is, to preach the gospel and to gather all His people into His kingdom. So let us work for the night is coming where no work can be done. And let us share the gospel with lost sinners near and far. And when, we, and when we cannot do it ourselves in foreign lands, we can support local gospel pastors and churches to do the work of evangelism. Yes, there will be lots of challenges, difficulties, and also disappointments in supporting overseas missions. But there are tremendous blessings as well. Therefore, let us hasten the return of Christ with the preaching of the gospel to all nations. Secondly, we are to give our priority to the body of Christ, that is, the church, the bride of Christ. The latter house may seem small and unadorned to the return exiles when they look through their flaw perspective. Likewise, the church may mean nothing to the world and even maybe to you. At most, and this is what I heard from many, many pastors who own big churches, they tell us the church is only useful to the world for kindergarten and community work. And the government is pressing them, please make use of your facilities to do just to good in themselves. But is the church only useful for these two work? Kindergarten and community work? The church is the blood of Christ and the apple of his eyes.
Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. And Christ dwells in the church by his spirit. So let us give our priority to the church, the body of Christ. And may we say with the hymn writer, Timothy Dwight, who wrote these words for the hymn, I love thy kingdom, Lord. Maybe you can sing next week. But now, allow me just to read to you a stanza, a short stanza from his hymn. The words are, and really I think it's his prayer. For her, that is for, my, for the church, for her, my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. To her, my cares and toys be given. Till toys and cares shall end. Are this your prayer and your resolve too? Finally, let us give our priority to the worship of God, which I really wish to impress upon you from God's word today. Worship is the Christian ultimate priority in life. We have been saved to worship God not just for a day, not just for a month, not just for a year, but for eternity. World without end. And the last two years we have experienced the many, many inconveniences of worship. The Lord is teaching us a lesson. I've given you such tremendous blessing. And if you are going to take it for granted again, you may take it away from us again. And now we can come back to worship in person and on site. It is my prayer that our hall will be filled again with people coming down here on Sunday not to just to please the church, but to worship our King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the day when we can do without our Zoom worship is the day where we should shout hallelujah to the Lord. That all of us can come in person without restriction to praise the Lord with our voice and to listen to His word and to partake of the Lord's Supper, which is next week. Why? Why should we come into God's house every Lord's day? Because God is going to give us peace in this place, in the body of Christ, in Christ himself. And this peace is not brought by magnificent architecture, great music, even our attendance. This peace we enjoy comes about because God has promised in this place that is in Christ and in his body. I will give peace. 
Christ is our peace. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and near. And soon, the day will come and it's coming when we will all gather around his throne. We will fall down before him and we will cast our crowns before the throne of Christ and cried out, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power through all eternity. That is the end in perspective. May the Lord help us as we seek to walk in His way and to do His will.